Leaving comfort is rough, but God was so enamored with us that he left the comfort of heaven. That's pretty local. We didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway. So God himself took on a fragile body. God of the universe got the flu and the common cold. He sweated and he bled. He took on haters. He was jumped by soldiers. People spat on him and ultimately murdered him. And in that weak, breakable body, Jesus sat with the contagious and the hurting. He listened, he healed them, he encouraged them, he taught them. And that's where he found us, in the sketchy places you wouldn't take tu familia. And rather than call us hopeless, Jesus pulled us out the gutter, placed hands on the addicted, shady, and diseased people. He looked us in the eyes and called us beloved children. This is the incarnation, God incarnate. God in the meat, God on the block, God on the street. And these are the stories of the people he met. All right, we're almost done with this series. We only got a couple more weeks and then... Uh... Uh, we'll bid adieu to that uh, that intro video, which we've had for like, I don't know, like eight months now. So, you know, I got to make every one, so I'm like stoked when there's a long series. Uh, you know, if you're interested in helping me make those, and t- you know, we could do that. We could talk about that. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm Pastor Dale Huntington. I'm the lead pastor for City Life Church. I'm stoked to be here with you today. Um, and uh, today we're going to be in uh, John 18, 28. John 18, 28. If you don't know where that is in your Bible, go to the very front of your Bible and look at the table of contents, and you will find um, where John is. So we're in John 18, 28. We have Bibles available in the back. We have loaners, um, and we also have some real nice ones in boxes. If you feel like you need a new study Bible, um, grab one. And, uh, you know, that's our gift to you. You want to throw 10 bucks in the offering, do it. If you want to keep it and you just don't want to give us money, do it. Um, Buenos días, si necesita escuchar a su en español, tenemos dispositivos de traducción para usted al costado de la sala. Um, by the way, Vanessa, you killed it on that. That was some sweet, sweet Spanish. Um, all right. So we're in John 18, 28. Um, today we're going to be talking about a very important politician. His name was Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate. Now, uh, he was a very important man in his day, okay? Um, He was a shotgun caller or whatever you want to say. But he was also a coward. He was a coward that God used for his glory. Um, You'll you'll see why he was a coward. I mean, that's a pretty big thing to say about someone, right? And, you know, if someone had to write a history book about my life, they might say the very same thing. But um, I'm on the other side of Pontius' life, so I'm going to say he was a coward. Um, he was basically the highest civil servant that you could have um, in the kingdom at the time um, without being the emperor himself. So he had worked his way up as a civil servant to where he was basically reporting to the emperor and the people who he governed. Um, He was called a governor. Um, Probably not the same type of governor that we would call today, but he was a governor. Now, uh, the interesting thing was, is those who were under his rule could actually report him to the governor and say, hey, or to the emperor and say, we don't like the job he's doing. 
Um, and so there was always this weird relationship. He reports to the emperor, and uh, the people he rules report to the emperor as well what he's up to. Um, he was there in a really tough time in Israel. Uh, there was a lot of strife, infighting, bad things going on, and he was there. Um, let me just tell you one story about uh, Pontius Pilate. So there was a time, Pilate comes in, and he's the new governor, right? And he's, uh, he's got this plan, and uh, his plan is to keep people in line. And so one of the things that they do is they have this pedestal, okay? Um, you guys know what a pedestal is, right? You've got this thing, much like this, and they would put it outside of his quarters, right? And what it would contain is a golden statue of Caesar, a golden statue of the king. Now, Pilate um, may have not known that all the governors before him uh, had learned that in Israel, to have a big golden statue for people to worship, because Caesar was God, would make people very upset. They would say, hey, we will worship no idol. We will only worship our God, not this idol that you call king. And so all the governors before Pilate had removed the idol because you know what? It's just not worth it, right? Pilate, however, said, I'm going to have this up here. And you're going to see that Caesar is king. Caesar is God. Um, okay, so, so he did that. Now the Jewish rulers um, confronted him about it. All the rulers came to him and they said, Pilate, you cannot have this pedestal here with this idol. We only worship one God here in Israel, and it's not Caesar. And he said, that's too bad. That's too bad. And so there came to a time when they, we, they would confront him every day, every day at his palace, every day when he was visiting, especially when he was there in Jerusalem, every day they were at his, they were just bothering him, annoying him. Take down the idol, Pilate, take down the idol. So you know what he did is he knew the next time this happened, pretty early on, they, next time they come at me, I'm going to have all my soldiers around them. So they came at him, soldiers came out of the crowd, surrounded these Jewish leaders, put knives to their throats and said, hey, what was that? They said, tell, tell us again that you want us to take down the statue. And they said, cut our, necks, cut our heads off. Cut our heads off um, rather than us worship the statue. And you know what he did? He backed off. And he showed that he was weak. He showed that he was weak and that he was unwilling to understand the context of where he lived. But at the same time, he was unwilling to take their lives because he knew if he took those leaders' lives, then there would be full-on riots. Now, other times, he did other barbaric things after that. He actually had a, a riot once where they came to be against him, and he put all of his soldiers in regular clothes in the middle of the riot, and they just beat the, beat the whatever out of all of those people in the riot. And like nobody knew, who, who's on my side? These plainclothes people, I don't know who, who the soldiers are and who the, the people on my side are. So this was Pilate. Like, great dude, right? No, he was terrible. And he was relentless, and he was a murderer. And so we tend to kind of see that Pilate as this guy that was like, oh, I don't know. Like, Jesus might be good. But he was ruthless, okay? So that's who Pilate was, okay? Um, and, and what we saw is that the Jewish leaders really came to not only disrespect him, but they came to see on that one occasion when they bared their necks and say, cut off our heads um, or, or else. Cut off our heads, and he didn't. They knew that they had some control over Pilate. And we're going to see that that control continues to this point in, the, in our Bible. So we're going to be right now in John 18, 28 through 38. It's pretty long. Stay with me. Um, and uh, if you're a visual learner, 
you know, pull out your Bible. If you're auditory, it's okay if you close your eyes. Check my work later, okay? Here we go. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas, the high priest, to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves, otherwise they would be defiled and so unable to eat the Passover. So Pilate came to them and said, what charge do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. I almost feel like they're saying it like a kid talking to dad with very, very disrespectful to me. If he weren't a criminal, why do you think he's here? So they say that to him. And Pilate told them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Well, it's not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, indicating what kind of death he was going to die. Then Pilate went back into the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus replied, my kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Oh, you are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this. I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is truth? said Pilate. After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, hey, I find no grounds for charging him. You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning we thank you for rescuing us. God, we've made ourselves the important things, uh, things on this planet too many dang times. And you've looked upon us and you've forgiven us. Every time you have treated us like family. Thank you, sir. This morning we want to appeal to your heart for peace. As the weather gets warmer, we know that violence in San Diego and L.A. will start to heat up. Father, we pray that you would supernaturally quell the violence by the power of your Holy Spirit. Teach us this morning and make us ambassadors for your kingdom. Equip us for peace, truth, and hope in our neighborhoods. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. One quick reminder, we know that a crying church ain't a dying church. So if you hear kids, that means our church is alive and that's a positive thing. We love it. So today I've got three points for you. And it's, uh, I call my, my points Real Talk from Jesus Chat with Pilate. Um, and I'm going to throw first up my, my first point, which is this. Jesus was not the conquering king that we wanted, but the dying lamb that we needed. Jesus was not the conquering king we wanted, but the dying lamb we needed. Um, so I don't know if we're throwing that up there or not, but that's cool. All right, so verse 36, it's, uh, he says, My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. So I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. So let me give you background here. So Israel at this point has been occupied or conquered for quite some time now. Um, 
It's probably been about 600 years that they've been occupied in some way or the other, some way or the other with uh, varying levels of change. Um, they'd been conquered by Babylon. They had been conquered by Persia. They'd been conquered by Rome, by Egypt, by the Greeks. Alexander the Great himself conquered Israel um, without much of a fight. It was very much like, uh, almost like uh, Paris in World War II, where they just said, hey, Paris is too great for us to fight you. We're just going to let you come in. In the same way, um, Israel was like, hey, can you just come in, take over? We're, we're just not going to fight you because we know we're going to lose and everything's going to get destroyed. Just come in. Let's work this out. So they had been conquered in many ways. Now, you got to think about this, 600 years. Like, how old is our nation? We're not 600 years old. Are we half that? I don't even know. Uh, yes, someone? Okay, someone knows history. Good. Um, that's 600 years. Friends, think about what our, what our country was like 200 years ago. That's a long time to have been under the thumb of someone else. How desperate must they have been to hear this prophecy that there was a coming king who was going to set things back to right? A coming conqueror who's going to set things back to right. So the problem is, is he was going to come back and he was going to seem weak. I mean, during the time of Hitler, though, um, would it be okay if the Jews hoped and prayed for someone to come and take Hitler out? Yes, of course. He was evil. He was killing innocent people. And if you think that kind of stuff wasn't happening during Roman occupation, you're kidding yourself. These are an oppressed people. They are struggling. They are fighting for their lives. If someone came from uh, the Roman military and said to you, hey, I want you to carry my stuff for a mile. By law, you had to drop everything you were doing to carry their stuff for a mile, which is why Jesus would say, go the extra mile, right? Think about our brothers and sisters that were oppressed and thrown into slavery. They sang songs about liberation, salvation, someone coming to rescue them from the hell that we call Chattel slavery. Some hoped for Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad. Others hoped for Jesus to supernaturally intervene. They often set songs to African rhythms and melodies where they pined and they dreamed of salvation. And they sang that song. I don't know, can the pastor sing, Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me on home. And so we see, I looked over Jordan. What did I see coming for to carry me home? A band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. What we see is we see an oppressed people looking for something more. And so when we think about perhaps Jewish people under occupation of Germany during World War II, when we think about those who had been enslaved in this country, hoping for something better, man, we got to put this in the place of where Israel was. Israel was tired of being ruled, tired of being taken care of. They were done with this, and they were waiting for a king who was going to come in and set it back to right. And what did Jesus come in and do? Well, Jesus seemed weak. Jesus seemed poor. Jesus seemed meek. Jesus seemed broken. And so all these people, all these people ready, ready for liberation, were looking at Jesus and going, this is the guy? This ain't the guy. Matter of fact, if this ain't the guy, then he's, he's really speaking a lot of blasphemy right now. This is what Jesus was coming against in the moment. Sometimes we hope for something in marriage, and it doesn't happen, and we get mad at that person. Like, you're supposed to serve me. You're supposed to make my life better. And when we look at that person, it's like they're just worried about themselves. In the same way, they had, 
They had an idea of what Jesus was going to be, and he wasn't what they wanted. But still, Jesus calls us to be servants, to be peacemakers. Jesus calls us a nonviolence, not passivity, but nonviolence. And that makes people mad, right? And that made the Jewish leaders mad. It makes people feel powerless. Doesn't that make you feel powerless? Perhaps it's because sometimes we are supposed to feel powerless. You see, the Jesus we want is the Jesus who will fill our pocketbook. The Jesus we want is going to give us that house in La Jolla. Like, we need that Jesus, right? You want your health problems to get better instantly? Just sprinkle a little bit of that Jesus in there, the conquering King Jesus. Jesus is the Savior, yes. But with Jesus, you, can get, you can't just get what you want. Sometimes it's just not that easy. Jesus is not someone you can tame. He's good, but he's not safe, and he's not going to come in the way you always expect. And here Israel had been waiting under the thumb of rule, thinking, this is finally the time, the Messiah, the Savior is going to rescue us. And then this dude came around, this dude who got captured. How is this our Savior? The religious people wanted warrior Jesus. That Jesus does eventually come. Ed talked about him last week. That dude has a tattoo on his thigh that says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's the Jesus that I would want to imagine if I were being oppressed at the moment. But that's not who came in that moment in their eyes. He seemed weak. But here's what it says in Revelation 19, 12 through 14, that his eyes will be like a fiery flame and many crowns were upon his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. Warrior Jesus will come one day, but at the moment of his arrest, Jesus was doing the most heroic thing possible and he was sacrificing himself for the people sacrificing himself for the hurting, sacrificing himself for the lost. So if Jesus is our true savior, the one we need, well, that says something about him. That, that attests to who he is. And that brings us to our second point. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. Not all the other voices that scream at you for your attention are the truth. Not all the people around you who say they have your best at heart um, that do not know Jesus are going to tell you the truth. So in verse 37, it says, you are a king then? Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king. Now let me just stop for a second and tell you that many linguists who understand the original language here, that's, they say Jesus is actually saying something a little closer to, you are right in saying that I'm a king. You are right in saying that I'm a king. So that's what's up. So Jesus replied, I was born for this, and I've come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Hey, it's hard to listen to that voice, isn't it? Because it's not always as loud as the other voices in our life. And honestly, we don't give him as much time as we give everything else in our life. Many times we breathe in the air that is every other voice. We're like fish in water with all the other voices. But we have to become attuned to what is Jesus' voice? When is he truly speaking? Who is the truth and how do we surrender ourselves to that truth? Now, uh, hip-hop artist KB, he says it this way. He says, this is what I live for, homie. This is the hill. Oh, it's so hard not to sing it, you know, because I already sang, you know, swing low, sweet chariot. You can't beat that. Um, this is what I live for, homie. This is the hill I'm buried on. If Jesus is the truth, then one of us is very wrong. It makes sense that Pilate would ask if Jesus was a king, though, wasn't, didn't it? 
Like Jesus recently rode in on a donkey, just like a king, right? They were putting a palm, uh, palms and their jackets at his feet, just like a king, right? Some of them must have remembered what the prophets said about Jesus. Zechariah 9.9, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a, coat, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This prophecy is talking about this Jesus. Now, it's funny because it says humble. Um, it says righteous. But I think they're really looking just for that victorious. And when they see victorious, they're looking in the world's view of what victory looks like. In the old days, Israel was actually conquered captured and ruled by a king, and his name was Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And do you know what they called him? In the Bible, they called him king of kings. Now, I'm not saying that the Bible affirms this, but in the Bible, he was referred to as king of kings. So when you have another dude coming in who says he's king of kings, or people were calling him king of kings, and you're in charge of this region, and you're the governor, you're going to like have your spidey sense tingling, aren't you? Pilate was concerned if this guy wanted to be king over Caesar because the people were calling him king. And that's not the worst question in the world, is it? Like, that's something that I would expect. You're in charge of this and everybody's calling him king and you report to the king who they call a god? You know, that, that should be a problem, right? But Pilate was really concerned if he could just keep peace because peace was his job description. He doesn't care that, that Jesus... Uh, Pilate doesn't care that Jesus wanted to save Pilate. Pilate just wanted to keep his job and his life. He cares if he's going to lose his job. Now, if you called yourself king of kings and lord of lords, as long as you meant in the afterlife, though, as long as you meant someplace else or in some uh, non-physical um, way, like Pilate was like, this is not going to cause me any problems. I'm cool with it. Yeah, okay. You're king of kings? Great. Like, I'm not worried about some crazy dude on the street who says he's going to turn me into the FBI, which has happened. Hey, I'm going to turn you into the FBI, dude. Hey, man, you're so high, I know that that's not going to happen. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. This is the way Pilate was viewing it. This is just some crazy dude. Some crazy dude calling himself king of kings. He's got some followers. It's, gonna, it's not going to last. This is how Pilate was looking at him. Now, Dr. Samuel Nugewa is a professor of New Testament studies at the Nairobi Evangelical Graduate School of Theology. And he has this to say. He says, in Pilate's experience, kingship, kingship involved having power over people. Jesus, however, spoke of kingship as being associated with truth, which drew people to his side. Jesus is all about truth here. Jesus is all about truth here. If you desire truth, though, you have to know where to find it. You have to know where to find it. The Bible is called the sword of the spirit. That means when you are a believer and the Holy Spirit is in you, that's God in you, he yields the Bible to teach and, and talk to you. He uses the Bible to speak to you. How do you know when God is speaking to you? Because it, it, it's affirmed by his word. How do you know when God is speaking to you? Because this sword is yielded in your presence. So if you don't know this, it's going to be really hard when you're, walk, when you're watching, you know, like Ricky Lake or something, to know uh, Ricky Lake's like canceled like 20 years ago. Who's uh, Dr. Phil. It's really hard when you're hearing from Dr. Phil or something Oprah says on TV and saying, is that something God would say to me? If you don't know this, there's no way to know if that's Oprah or if that's God. So this is why we encourage you to be in the Word. And I know it's hard to read sometimes. 
I know it's hard to read, but if you're consistent, you will consistently begin to understand when God is speaking to you. And when someone comes to you and is like, the Lord told me we should move in together, you can go, uh-uh, that's in the Bible. Uh, that's not happening. No. When, when someone comes to you and says, the Lord says that I should abuse you and it's okay, you say, that's not in here. That's not in here. So we have to become attuned to understanding when God is speaking. And the only way to do that is to be in the Word. Now, I'm going to do something I've never done. I'm super nervous about it. I'm going to ask you, if you read, if you can read aloud, I need three volunteers. Can, who feels comfortable reading aloud? Anyone? Okay, we got one. Come on up. Race. All right, does anyone else feel comfortable reading aloud? Hey, you raised your hand. That was okay, right? Come on. Anyone else? Hey, this is when it falls. Okay, two. All right, I need one more person. Three, all right. Yeah, all right. You guys, your pastor, I don't know about him. All right. Come on up, guys. Don't bump into anything. It's dark back there. I should have had him go that way. What I'm going to be talking about when they come on up, come up here. Um, here, grab, grab you guys that, those mics back there. All right, take that one, Ashley. All right, come on up, come around. Let's come on down. All right, we're going to try this. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, you're going to take this. Um, you're going to take this. You're going to take this. Let me make sure these work. Does that work? Nope. Let's get this bad boy on. Check, check, one, two. All right. All right, so... What we're going to do is um, we're going to take a moment and we're going to think about this is, this is what it looks like in our life. This is what's happening. Now, you can't always see this happening, but this is truly what's happening. And so um, what we're going to have first is uh, first I'm going to have the voice of ignorance. Now, everybody, everybody here is, this is, this is Ben. Now, um, the, these voices are speaking to Ben right now, Okay. And, and you have to imagine yourself being Ben, okay? This is you in the middle, okay? And these are the voices that speak to you. And this is what they're saying to you. All right, so um, here we go, race. Uh, the world speaks to you truth all the time in quotations. But this is what TV, Instagram, your inner narcissist, and many self-help books want you to hear. This is what Oprah wants you to hear, okay? Um, this is what Tony Robbins wants you to hear. All right, read it. You? No, get close. You are perfect. The way you are. Oh, you talk to Ben too. You don't need church. You don't need God. You don't need to be forgiven. It's really everyone else's fault that you are in this situation. You don't, any, you don't need anyone. You don't need friends. You just need Netflix. You just need time. Just do some Snapchat selfies and you'll feel better. You just need to treat yourself. <laughs> you aren't sinful. You are beautiful. You don't make mistakes. Everyone around you makes mistakes. You just seek your truth. All right, so that's our voice of ignorance. Um, now we're going to have the voice of condemnation. This is another voice that speaks to us all the time. Oprah's not going to say this, but there are people all around you. There's going to be family members who are going to condemn you. There's going to be books that condemn you. Instagram's going to condemn you in a different way because you're looking at the beautiful things that everybody else did. How come they got to go on that vacation? You're going to be looking at that, and this is the voice of condemnation that you're going to hear. So you are a failure. Everything you try, you fail. 
All of your mistakes in life are because you are an unforgivable, awful person. You stand condemned. You deserve death. You weren't made in the image of God. You were made ugly and awful. Remember what, that thing you did? God doesn't forgive you for it. He will never forgive you for it. Those things done to you were your fault. You never get anything right. Whenever you start to get right with God, you screw it up. You always screw things up. Just give up. Okay. So then, so then, that's the other voice. Hey, we hear these voices, don't we? All the time. Coming at us from both sides. Now, but, but, but God is good, right? And he gives us his word, okay? Now, so what we do is, is we, we bring God's word into all of this, okay? Now, what we're going to do is I'm going to ask Ben to read about himself here. I'm going to ask you guys to read those again at the same dang time, okay? What happens when we bring the word into our mess while we're listening to these other things as well? Here's what you'll hear. Okay, I'm going to count to three, and then you're going to start reading those one more time. Okay, one, two, three. You are a failure. You don't need God. You don't love the fault. It's really everyone else's fault that you were in this situation. You don't need anything. You don't need friends. You just need time. You just need time. Just do some Snapchat and you'll feel better. You just need to treat yourself. You are beautiful. You are beautiful. You don't make mistakes. Everyone around you makes mistakes. You just need your truth. According to the flesh, but according to the spirit. All right, we're good. We'll stop there. Now, this is what's happening. When you got Instagram, TV, your friends who don't know the Lord, all kind of talking to you about what it is, all kind of telling you what truth is. Now, Ben is reading truth, but he's hearing in both ears at the same dang time condemnation and also that he doesn't need God. He's hearing these things, and we're expecting him to be able to read this and know God's voice. But he's hearing from so many other things. And so now, I'm taking away this person who is the voice of condemnation, and I'm putting in the church. This is the church speaking to Ben now, okay? Now, I'm going to take away this voice of ignorance, and I'm going to put in godly friends, okay? Voices that matter. The word of God is good, but you need these things to attest to the truth as well. You need people who love God. I know that some of us think that I'll just come on Sunday and I'll just experience a little bit of church and everything's going to be okay. And I tell you, friends, it's so unbearably burdensome to do that. Now, one more time, I'm going to count to three and let's see what happens when we have godly friends who love you when you have the word of God in your life and when you have the church consistently in your life. I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. Go. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. In order that the law's requirement would be filled with us, do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their mind set on the things of the Spirit. When you hear your friends, when you hear the church speaking truth into your life, it changes. You guys can go. You could just put those mics back over there. Give them a hand. Yeah. 
Hey, you know what I loved about that? And by loved, I mean like I'm adjusting as we go, is that when they started, they were really out of sync, weren't they? But as they continued to seek God's word together as a team, as people who could speak truth to one another, they began to be one voice. And friends, I'm going to tell you something, that when you seek to be a part of God's church, it gets messy before it gets easy. And there's going to be times when you have some false starts. But friends, you need to be around people who speak truth to you. You need to be around people who say Jesus is the truth. And if you're not, it's going to be that cacophony of voices. You do you, girl. It's going to be that cacophony of voices. You'll never be good enough. When instead, the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we shut out those voices, when we read the word, when we listen to friends who encourage us to be close to God, when we are going to church and being the church and being a family with each other, that's what happens. That we find there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I'll tell you, this is the hardest thing in the world, isn't it? Because when you're struggling, do you really want to be around people who have it all together? And I'll just tell you, we don't have it all together. But it feels like that, right? Like when you are in a bad place, you're going to go, I'm not going to church. Those people are going to judge me. And I tell you, um, we're all messed up. We're all broken and in need of a savior. But what we tend to do is we think, you know what? I would much rather have someone tell me I'm awesome. I would much rather do that. And so 2 Timothy 4.3 says this, the time will come. When people will not tolerate sound doctrine, what's doctrine? It's like teaching, understanding who God is. But according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. Other translations say they have itching ears. Hmm, that sounds good. You do you, just Netflix and chill. I like that. Just do what you like. Yeah, I like that. That, that scratches an itch. But I tell you, it's not truth. When it comes down to the truth, the truth is Jesus, and Jesus attests to the truth. The truth you need to know is Jesus. And the truth about Jesus is that he loved us enough to do what it took for us to be in his family. And so that's our third point, that Jesus took the death we deserved. Jesus took the death we deserved. It said after this, in verse 38, he said, he went out to the Jews again, told them, I find no grounds for charging him. You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. Friends, Jesus didn't deserve death, did he? Jesus didn't deserve death. He was smart enough to talk himself out of it, wasn't he? He could have talked himself out of that. Pilate could have come to him. He could have been like, yeah, those guys set me up and uh, they're trying to bring down your kingdom. I'm just here because I think Caesar's awesome. Like, he could have done that, right? And they would have been like, man, get out of here. But he took it on the chin for us. And he allowed this. He allowed it. Jesus didn't deserve death. Make no mistake. This was a hard decision for Pilate, though, wasn't it? But this was Pilate's decision. He was receiving pressure from Rome. He was receiving pressure from the religious leaders who didn't like Jesus, who thought Jesus should be that conquering king to tear down Rome. And then... If Pilate didn't have enough reason to, to figure this out, his wife comes to him. Now, this is in Matthew 27, 19. It's the only place where this is mentioned. It says this. While he was sitting on the judge's bench, his wife sent word to him. 
quote, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for today I've suffered terribly in a dream because of him. So his wife even said, hey, I had a dream about this Jesus guy. Don't mess with him. Like there's something going on here that God has even told me in a dream. Don't mess with him. And what did Pilate do? He was worried about his job. Pilate was worried about what might happen to him if he, if he didn't attest to truth. Truth to him was his job. Truth to him was getting by. Truth to him was surviving. And here we know that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And his wife was even willing to attest to that. And just, fellas, when a wife has a bad dream or a bad vibe about something, you should probably listen to him, okay? The thing is that Pilate allowed the crowd to dictate to him what he should do. He was meant to lead, and instead he followed the loudest voice. And friends, when you have those two voices on the side of you saying saying all these things, you're just going to listen to the loudest one if you're not allowing other godly voices in your life. Woe to us if the church does this. When truth and the gospel take a seat to the voice of the crowd, our church will be impotent. When churches remove the word of God and the exclusivity of Christ, they die. They die. Now, a lot of times, we don't want to take responsibility for our life, do we? We want God to forgive us and love us and squeeze us because he's love and he's squishy and he's awesome, right? But the thing is, there's consequences for our actions. Sometimes we feel them in hard ways. Some people will say, hey, it's karma, They use that term with me all the time. When I talk to people, they say, oh, it's karma. I deserve this. And I'm like, okay, Jesus said you reap what you sow. But here's the thing. Jesus is taking on what we deserve and giving us what he deserves. Pilate and Rome were the only ones who could put him to death by law, but he listened to the, the voices of the crowd. This is why I call Pilate a coward. This was short sighted. What do we say? Penny wise, pound foolish. Pilate may have thought he was in power, but he wasn't. When Jesus spoke to him, Jesus was like, hey, you need me more than I need you. Following God is in our hands. You can blame your reasons for not following him on everything else, but ultimately, we will face God. And we won't face him based on what other people around us have done. We will face him based on his merit if we choose to accept him as Savior. Did you accept my mercy and reject it? Did you listen to every dang voice around you or did you listen to my voice, he says? The gospel is a free gift, but we have to accept it, friends, because we have a great debt. And here's the thing. We are sinners. We're sinners. It's just a thing. And you know, like when I hear someone say we are sinners and I think back to my 16-year-old self, like I always hear it in that southern accent for some reason, hey, you're a sinner. You know, and I would like, I would like push back against that. Don't call me a sinner. Well, have you ever done anything sinful in your life? no. That's, I truly said that to Christians. Like, no, I didn't do anything sinful. Well, have you ever stolen from your parents? No. Uh, I, yeah, I totally stole from my parents. But like, the thing is, it's like, it's so hard to hear this idea of like, you being a sinner. This idea, you have fallen short. You have missed the mark. And, and the thing is, is, do you know why we've all missed the mark? It's because the mark is perfection. Jesus is who we have to compare ourselves to. Perfect. And we're not perfect. And God cannot be in relationship with imperfection. So what did he do? What did he do? You guys know this story. I'm going to say it again every day of my life. He willingly sent his son to this earth to live a perfect life, die as a sacrifice for me and you. Why would he do that? 
because he loved you, because he loved me, enough to, to take on the ultimate sacrifice. So he lived a perfect life with the same body as me and you. You know, he probably was more fit than me, didn't have a gut because he was working on like, he was a carpenter. But the thing is, he lived the same life as us. And he was willing to take on pain and suffering. And he was even willing to take on people who hated him because he loved us. And even further, he was willing to take on death. Why do you think he was not telling uh, Pontius Pilate the way out? Because he wanted in. He wanted into his death for you and I because he loved us. And he died on the cross as a sacrifice. And then he showed us how great his love and compassion is. He showed us how powerful he is by rising again, showing us that he had defeated sin and death. Friends, that means he's defeated your sin and your death and my sin and my death. And so we are called to not listen to junky voices who want to tell us who we are, who want to tell us you're not good enough because you are, because Jesus was good enough. The fact is we're not actually good enough, but he is good enough. And also, don't listen to the voice that tells you how awesome you are. Oh, you're so great. Oh, you got this. I know you're struggling with this, but you're so amazing, you're going to overcome this on your own. No, 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 no. You're not going to overcome this on your own. You need God. You need his word. And you need people who love you enough to tell you that. You need people who love you enough to speak truth in your life. Friends, this is why we encourage you to be in community. This is why we have our city groups. This is why we have men's growth groups and women's growth groups. Like We don't do church because it's just this awesome presentation we can have and we go home and we feel good. We do this because we're family. We do this because we're family and we need family to speak truth. This is perhaps your better family. So don't listen to the voices that say you got this when it comes to your life and sin. Your effort cannot match the work done on the cross for you. And don't listen to the voices that say you are too bad to accept Jesus now. You'll never get it together to follow Jesus. You don't have to get it together to follow Jesus. He gets you together. Follow Jesus. Let him help you put it all together because he's good and he loves you. I'm just going to close with one thing that I think is awesome. Some of you guys that are Christians know about this, um, but here's what happened. There's that moment that they say, not this, not this man, but Barabbas. And there's something very powerful about that scene. When Jesus is standing before the group, the rabble, those who are probably spitting, hissing at him, those who are probably throwing dirt, who knows what they're doing. Jesus stands before them and Pilate says, hey, release this dude. And they say, no, 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 we don't want Jesus released. We want Barabbas. Now, why is that important? Well, what does bar mean? What does bar mean? Okay, bar um, would mean son of. So you would say a guy whose name um, was Simon, whose son, who was the son of Jonah, you would call him Simon Bar-Jonah. That means I'm the son of Jonah. I'm Simon, son of Jonah, right? Well, what does Abba mean? Father. And it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful way to say father because it was the easiest thing for a little baby to say, right? Abba, Abba, Abba. That's, it's, it really means daddy, right? It means dada. They chose it for the dads because they wanted the dads to be the first word that a baby would say. Dada. So what does that mean? Barabbas' name was son of the father. Child of the father. Who's that? That's us. We are the ch children of the father. 
All of you, whether they were good fathers or not, have a father. You are a descendant of a father. And, they, and Jesus had the opportunity to be released. And instead, we were. Jesus had the opportunity not to go to the cross, but he chose it so we could be released. And so if you find yourself clinging, clinging to hope in yourself, clinging that you might just get it together, clinging to these things, these voices, these Dr. Phil's and these Oprah's telling you, you could just figure this out. I tell you, the only truth is Jesus. And he cares about you. He loves you. And he did everything it took for you to be in his family. The Bible says you were enemies with him, but now we are family. So I say to you, don't, don't wait to surrender your life to him. Don't wait. And you know what? I went to church where I heard a pastor say this, and I was like, that's a bunch of BS. And I tell you, the more I've searched for who God is, the more I've learned about his truth, the more I know that this is not, that this is a truth. And I encourage you to pray and ask God, are you real? Do you want to save me? Then save me, Lord. And so in this moment, we're going to pray silently. We're going to bring our sins to God and say, hey, here's all the ways that I'm not like you. And then we're going to thank him for forgiving us. And if you've never done that, I encourage you to say, Jesus, take me, I am yours. I surrender to you today because I've listened to all these voices and they're not enough. And you know what? And if you've done that, let us know. And we'll baptize you. And we'll say, hey, this person belongs to Jesus now. Okay? So let's pray. So, Father, we confess we're just not as good as we thought we were, and we're not as bad as we thought we were in your eyes because you forgive us. So we thank you that you've taken these confessions, you've taken these sins, and you've pronounced us good in your sight, Father. That when you look upon us, you see the goodness of your son, Jesus. You see the holiness, the righteousness of your son, Jesus. And God, we thank you that you were willing to take our sin on the cross. So God, we ask in this moment that as you forgive us, that you would remind us that we're forgiven, that we would feel it deep in our craw, that we wouldn't walk out and pick up the same sins and feel like those burdens are on our shoulders, but we would be reminded you have forgiven us once and for all. God, teach us from your truth. Help us not to listen to every voice out there. Help us not to have itching ears for those voices. God, let us surrender our lives to you this morning. Thank you for loving us. We love you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we move back into a time of...